0: My name's Mitra, and I'm originally from Afghanistan. I was born there, uh, born in Kabul, Afghanistan. Moved out of there when I was 18 months old. Lived in India for about five years and moved down to Texas after that. I was raised up in a family of the Islamic belief. Once I started, you know, just growing up and the years went by, I started questioning if what I was doing and attending mosque was because... I was told to and that's what was accepted and that's what I had to do and if I didn't follow it or if I didn't do act a certain way God would not love me and when I first met Matt remember we had a conversation about I guess what's important in our lives and where we want to be and what we expect out of our relationship and one of the things that we discussed was God and so I think it was probably like a month month and a half I think he kind of built up the courage to ask me to go to church with him and I agreed the first time that I went, it felt different. You can tell that it was just somewhere where I needed to be, and just it felt like home. It felt so peaceful being there. It was just wonderful seeing everybody, just being united together and worshiping. And uh, I finally decided on getting baptized, and I got baptized on the 2nd of June. And I'm really weird. I stare at clouds a lot. <laughs> and so one morning, we were actually driving to church, and it looked like there was a hand pointing towards the direction of church. And that's what made me wanna go do it because that was a sign for me. Converting over is not really a favorable thing in, you know, in our culture, in our, in our community, and with my family. I think the Afghan community will shut me out and probably I'll probably bring bad name down to my family and kind of be a disgrace to my family. I think that's one of the biggest things with me right now is um, what I love the most is the relationship that I can have with God and the fact that I can have a father and not a worldly father, but an eternal father that growing up, I didn't have my father around. I mean, he was around, but he was around, but not physically there not emotionally there. And I think it, it's, it's really nice being able to, I guess, look up to somebody and know that they love me unconditionally, and that that I don't have to be scared. I don't have to be worried about every little step that I make, um, or every little wrong thing that I do. I'm more optimistic. I look at things completely different. I'm more loving, caring. I've learned to forgive. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but I know life is going to be better. And it can only continue to get better.
1: Wow. What a story. Imagine being from one country and coming to a different country with a completely different faith. And yet that story happens a lot. It happens in the Bible. We're going to see that in just a moment. Have you ever taken a trip And maybe on that trip, you met somebody that you will probably never see again. And yet that brief encounter had a profound impact on your life. Uh, When I travel, and I travel a lot, I I try to ask the Lord, okay, I'm going to sit with someone I probably don't know. Is this a close your eyes and take a nap trip? Or is this a be alert because that person sitting by me is not an accident kind of trip? I've had some amazing encounters. A few years ago, I was on my way to Seattle. It's a four-hour trip and a young woman sat next to me. She immediately noticed a book I pulled out to read and asked if I was a Christian. And I said, oh, I'm not just a Christian. I'm a Christian minister. And she started. She was a brand new believer. I mean, really brand new. And she was on her way to Seattle to try to explained to her family, who was not just non-Christian, but anti-Christian, why she had chosen to follow Jesus. And she was expecting a lot of animosity. And it reminded me of a scripture I shared with her, and her eyes got big. and Oh, what what is that scripture? And she pulled out a tablet, and she wrote it down. And we talked some more, and she wrote some more, and I talked some more, and she wrote some more. And in four hours, she took 13 pages of notes of scriptures to read... To be encouraged and to speak and to say a word to her family. And as I was uh, leaving the plane, she tapped me on the shoulder and I turned around. And I'll never forget, she said, I prayed to God that he would put someone on that seat next to me that knew the Bible. And when you have an experience like that, you can't forget it. Because God specializes in encounters just like that, because he knows it takes one to reach one, and every one is some one to the one true God. so what we're going to do the next three weeks is we're just going to look at three times where God arranges these amazing encounters for someone and their one and we're going to start in Acts chapter eight now. Philip is one of the early disciples, a leader in the church, and he's having an amazing revival. He's preaching, and people are responding, and it's a huge thing. And you would think God would want him to stay there and do that huge thing, but God had a one for Philip. So let's start reading in verse 26 of Acts 8. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandaki, which means queen of the Ethiopians. Now, this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay Near it. And then Philip ran up to the chariot. And heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said. Unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up. And sit with him. Now right off the bat. You see God all over this text. Because an angel was the one that told Philip to go. And then the spirit told Philip the particular person God wanted him to meet. So when people come to Christ, there's always, in seen and unseen ways, the involvement of God. And when they come, there are almost always the same components involved. Maybe not in the same order, but I want to show you what they are. See, the first thing that's always going to be there, it's going to begin with a searcher. Here's a man, and he's got power, he's got position, he's got status, he's got wealth, he's got education. And he's got his own religious heritage in Ethiopia. So what's he doing, taking two months to travel 1,200 miles to go to a different country that has a different religion? Well, he's looking for something. Something is missing in his life. Jesus said that we're all seekers we're all seeking something and most of us don't know where to look a while back there was a man named Trey and this young man's in a liquor store and he's about to buy a bottle and an old man says to him you won't find what you're looking for in that bottle and Trey says I know I'm going to drink it so I can get another one and the old man says you won't find it there either And Trey conceded the point and said, well, what are you doing here? And the old man said, I'm looking for the same answers. And that conversation was part of a process that began a journey that led Trey a few weeks ago to faith and being baptized here at our church. Because you say, well, I don't know anyone looking for God, but you know people looking for a purpose in life. You know people that are looking for more peace and joy in their life. We know people that are looking for a way to deal with the sense of shame that we have. We know people who are looking for a way to cope with all the evil in the world. Everyone is searching. And some don't even know they're on a trip. Uh, I remember reading about a little boy that got lost at a large department store. And the security people found him and they kept him safe while his parents were paged. And they came in frantically. Now the boy's fine. He's eating ice cream. They're taking good care of him. He's happy as he can be until his parents come in with panic on their faces. And immediately he begins to cry. And one of the security guards said, I guess he didn't even know he was lost until he was found. And I think that's true of a lot of people. They, they don't even know they're searching until they find what they've always needed. But now, one thing about this guy, he's warmer than most because at least he's got a Bible. So let's read what he was reading. Verse 32. Now, this is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. So here you've got a searcher. And he's wrestling with scripture. Now, not everybody is wrestling with a particular verse in the Bible. But everybody is wrestling with big questions. That are dealt with. In the Bible. But I want you to notice something about this man in particular. He had gone to the right place, Jerusalem. He had been told about the right and one true God, Yahweh. He had the right book, he was reading the right text. And he was still confused. And it wasn't a matter of his intellect or his desire. Or time? You see, in Jerusalem, he got a copy of the written word. But nobody introduced him to the living word. He didn't have the lens of Jesus through which he could read and understand the very word of God that he was holding. And I think this is a very important thought for us to pursue for a moment. Now, you know I love the Bible. You know I love to preach the Bible. This is my happy spot when I've got a Bible in my hand and I'm teaching what it says. But years ago, the reformers, they came up with the phrase sola scriptura, only scripture. And I know what they meant. I know they meant, hey, let's get away from popes and let's get away from councils and let's get away from... People and hierarchies that tell us what faith ought to be. And let's just get back to the Bible. And I love that. But here's the reality. Only Scriptura is not biblical. You could mail a Bible to everybody in the world. And it wouldn't mean more people necessarily would come to faith. Every now and then you hear a story like that. But here's the reality. He had the Bible. But he didn't have Jesus. It takes more than the word it takes a voice. And so look at verse 34 with me. And then the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? So here you have a searcher. He's wrestling with the scripture. And what he needs is to meet a speaker. For any one to meet the one and only, someone must get in the chariot. And the problem is, too many Christians are like the Arctic River. They are frozen at the mouth. Now, I know it matters how we live. We've all heard the phrase that actions speak louder than words. We all know that if we live hypocritical lives, if we live unjust lives, that it destroys our testimony. I understand all that. But this story denies the popular idea today that faith comes by watching. That if we will just live lives of integrity and be noble people, then folks will just somehow come to Jesus. Faith comes by hearing. He had the desire. He had the book. Somebody had to get into the chariot and speak for Jesus. Paul says in Romans chapter 10. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Isn't telling the main job description of a witness? Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses. Well, what does a witness do? What is the number one job of a witness? To tell what he knows. Now, not all of us are going to be Bible scholars. Granted, the God gives the church, he gives the church teachers. He gives the church evangelists. So that we have people in the body that can answer the hard questions. But every one of us can tell how our story met Jesus' story. Every one of us can get into the chariot and do that. You can tell somebody what your life was like before Jesus. You can tell somebody how you met Jesus. And you can tell somebody what difference it has made in your life. Now that you know Jesus. And we all need to be looking for chariots to join. There's a, a Christian scholar named Larry Totten And what he did is go across America. And he studied college campus atheist groups. To determine... Why do these people, these young people, say they reject faith? And here's what his research revealed. One of the biggest factors was that these students know students who claim to be Christian, and yet it doesn't seem to be a big deal to them. They never go deep with their faith. And here's the irony. What he found was non-believing students have more respect... For the sold out fanatical Christian students. Than for the ones who aren't. I remember what one student from Dartmouth. A uh, political science major said. I really can't consider a Christian a good moral person. If he isn't trying to convert me. Christianity is something that if you really believed it. It would change your life. And you would want to change the lives of. Of others. But I haven't seen. Too much. Of that. Because isn't it true. You talk about anything or anyone you really care about. You don't have to beg me to talk about my golf trip to Scotland with my family. You don't have to ask me to talk about my kids. Or about my church. We talk. About anything or anyone we really, really care about. And so Philip got up in the chariot. A searcher wrestling with the scripture. Connected in a God-ordained moment with a speaker. But we need one more thing. Verse 35. And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture. And told him the good News about Jesus. I love that verse. Let me tell you. If, if you're not bringing up Jesus. You're not bringing good news. You got a searcher. Wrestling with scripture. He's met a speaker. Who's going to point him to a savior. The one thing. That everyone needs is to meet the one and only you can't really understand this book if you don't know who the star of the story is and that was the eunuch's problem they gave him the written word but he didn't know who the living word was because that's really the point of the bible it's not that we worship the bible but we worship the star of the story in the bible He's the star of the whole book. Even Jesus taught us this. Remember when he's on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection? It says in Luke uh, twenty four twenty seven, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. The reason we speak is not to get people to agree about a doctrine. We speak to get people to surrender to a person. Get someone to embrace the one and only. And they'll embrace everything he asks. Because that's what happens. He talks about Jesus. Look what happens. Verse 36. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. Don't ask me what that means. I'm just reading what it says. God's just all over this thing. Because God knows it takes one to reach one. He's making it happen. And watch this. It says, and the eunuch didn't see him again. But he went on his way rejoicing. And you know he did. But let me throw this thought out. I think Philip went on his way rejoicing too. I don't know where the spirit took him. But I know he took him full of joy. Because... There is hardly anything that is more pure joy than to be the one that God uses to reach one. I was talking recently with uh, Dwayne and Debbie Jinks. Dwayne is minister of missions here at our church. And they've been praying for their neighbors for years. And one of their neighbors approached Dwayne with the idea well, why don't we just have church in the driveway? and so they did they started a bible study right there in the driveway of their neighborhood and some people bring their beers and some bring their cigarettes and they open up the bibles and they just talk and they talk about jesus and it's been such a powerful thing what god has done there because duane and debbie were willing to step into the chariot in fact uh A couple in the circle had gone on a couple of Saturday nights to our Saturday night service here at the hills. And they liked it. And they told their neighbors, well, y'all should go to that church sometime on Saturday night. And the neighbors turned to Dwayne and Debbie and said, hey, that's cool. Would you like to go with us? So here's neighbors inviting a minister of our church if they'd like to go to our church with them. Because that's what God does. And you know what? They just talk Jesus. They just talk Jesus. But, you know, if you talk Jesus, what's going to happen? You're going to start to embrace everything Jesus is about. And so... Well, they came to some water, and a couple of guys in the Bible study said, You know what, Dwayne? Why can't I be baptized? And so two of his friends were baptized into Jesus. And the story just goes on. Now, you're thinking, yeah, well, Philip, he was a man that the Holy Spirit talked to in Dwayne. He's a minister and a former missionary. I'm just not wired that way. Okay, that's got to stop. We've got to stop thinking and talking that way. Don't say that Jesus' talk doesn't come naturally to you. Because that betrays confidence in Jesus. It suggests that He is expecting you to do something He wouldn't equip you to do. Well, it doesn't come naturally to me. It doesn't come naturally to anybody. Because witnessing is a supernatural thing. It's something that God has to be all over. That's why in Acts 1-8. When Jesus is about to launch this worldwide movement. He says you'll receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witness," says, Telling people about me everywhere. It's the Holy Spirit. That makes the mission possible. Uh, let me be honest here. I think. If we disappoint Jesus, for most of us, it's not that we live secretly sinful lives. It's that we live secretly Christian lives. And it reveals a lack of trust in the Spirit's competence. Jesus knew the mission would be daring And he told his disciples, you're going to be put in places where it's going to be intimidating. Where you're not going to feel adequate. But he said in Luke 12, the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. In other words, Jesus says, get in the chariot. You don't have to have it all mapped out before you get in the chariot. You don't have to have the lecture written out. Just get in the chariot. And the Holy Spirit will show up, and something supernatural can happen. see, I I believe a secret agent Christian is quenching the Spirit. You know, uh, a lot of people talk about, well, I just want more of the Spirit. And I hear that, and I endorse that, but I am concerned sometimes. I hear a lot of people that say they want more of the Spirit, but it's almost for their personal fulfillment, for their personal experience. And... The reality is, when Jesus promised the gift of the Spirit, it was so the Spirit in us could do something for others. In fact, in the book of Luke and in Acts, Luke wrote both, he often uses the phrase, filled with the Spirit. But here's the thing, every time he does, it is immediately followed with someone speaking. Acts chapter 2. They're all filled with the Spirit. And the next thing is, and they began to speak in other languages, preaching the gospel of Jesus. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John heal a lame man. A crowd gathers. Peter begins to preach. They get arrested, and they're put before the Sanhedrin. What are you guys doing? Peter, filled with the Spirit, said, rulers and leaders of Israel. And he begins to preach Jesus. Acts chapter 4, they're all in a room together. They're praying because the church is being persecuted. They ask for God to give them courage. It says the room was shaken. They were filled with the Spirit and began to speak the Word of God boldly. You see, God cares about this. That's why He sends angels. And that's why the Spirit leads and prompts and speaks. Because God isn't just hoping people get saved. He is constantly arranging encounters where someone full of questions meets someone full of the Spirit. Because it takes one to reach one. And I'm hoping you will make yourself available for one of God's special trips. Did you know that's the only direct prayer request Jesus ever made? Now, Jesus taught us to pray. He encouraged us to pray. But only one time does Jesus ever directly ask us to pray about something. Luke 10, chapter 2. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So, pray to the Lord, notice Who is in charge of the harvest. What does that mean? That means God's already out there before you and I ever show up. God's been out working the field before you and I ever get there. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. God's already there. The harvest is already being prepared. So stop saying, well, that just doesn't come naturally to me. But pray for the seeker to meet a speaker. Now, it's good and right to pray for the lost. You do it, I do it. We all have people we care about. People in our family, neighbors, friends. And they don't know Jesus. And we pray for them. And that's good and that's right. But Jesus said, "We need to pray for more people who will go and get up in the chariot with them. We need to pray for more Phillips, open to the leading of the Spirit, convinced of the filling and adequacy. Of the Spirit, who will look for chariots that they can join, and that 's what we 're going to do i 'm going to call it mission ten two in fact right now i 'm going to give you permission to get out your cell phone or whatever you keep notes to yourself on. Go ahead and get it out right now and you've got on your cell phone an alarm you've got uh, a reminder app. And here's what I want you to do for one week. I want you to join me for one week. And I want you to pray at 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock for workers to go into the field. And when you leave today, you're going to have a chance to get this prayer guide we've prepared. Last week, we gave you the DVDs to help equip you to talk to your friends about their questions. This week, we'll give you a prayer guide. We're going to start Tomorrow and for one week at 10 and at 2, we've got a scripture here for you to read and a prayer for you to pray. And we believe before the week is over, God can identify that one that he has for you. I've already started, by the way. i got to jump on you guys. I'm already doing it. But I want you to join me. Let's start Monday. Let's go to Sunday. For seven days, let's have thousands of people Doing what Jesus asked us to pray about. Join me. Let's ask God to arrange more moments where speakers intersect with seekers. And just remember. You might be the answer to somebody's prayer. Somebody might be praying. God please send someone into. And they name a name. And you don't know it. But that name is about to cross your path. A couple of years ago I told you about my friend Don McLaughlin. He's a preacher in Atlanta and he had spent about a month in the hospital because of some complications from surgery. And while there Don met a nurse named Katie and Katie told him right up front she was not a believer. But because of Don and his wife Susan's winsomeness and gentleness and gracious spirit, Katie began the journey toward faith. She began attending their church. Even bringing some of their friends. Recently Don had to go back to the hospital. Now Katie doesn't work at that hospital anymore. But she was driving to the hospital to visit Don. And she saw this picture of this rainbow over the hospital. And she stopped and she took a picture. And she texted the picture to Don with this message. No matter how inconvenient this is. And you feel like garbage. Please keep your heart open because God knows that someone else in there needs you. That's stunning to me. She's not yet totally embraced faith. But she gets it. She's hoping Don will be open to someone else. And climbing someone else's chariot. Just like he climbed in hers. Because she likes where her trip is going. And he wants it to do for someone else. And I just have to believe that when she made that request, that Jesus broke into a huge smile. And I'd like to believe that we are about to make Jesus smile. A lot. So would you pray with me now, please? So, Father, I'm I'm asking in Jesus' powerful name that you would take this word just delivered and use it to bring glory to Jesus. And we know, Father, if glory is going to come to Jesus, then more people are going to have to hear about Jesus. More are going to have to be aware of him. And, Father, we want to be a part of what you're doing in the harvest. It's your harvest. You're in charge of it. You've been preparing it. And you're looking for workers. Well, here we are, God. We're available. Use us. Create moments where we have those encounters with searchers. Help us to see those moments. And give us the courage to step out in faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. And be your witness. Father, we're excited about what we anticipate is going to be story after story of us sharing with one another what you are doing in your field. And thank you for the joy of getting to be a part of something so huge, so important, so eternal. The good news about Jesus. Father, we're ready to play a bigger role in that. And so, we ask this for Jesus' sake, in His name, and for His glory. Amen.